Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Romans chapter 10. This is missions conference time. This is my favorite week of the year at Heritage Baptist Church, anywhere that I am. I love what missions causes us to do. And it causes us to take a good look at our hearts and make sure that we're not living for ourselves, but we're living in the way that God would have us to live, and that is looking to the needs of others. Romans chapter 10, I won't be as long as I was in Sunday school, but you listen, I'll preach fast. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, I'm sorry, verse 12, the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Now, you don't have to be anything special. You don't have to be any certain color. You don't have to be from any certain place. You just need to be a person and he loves you and, and knows your need. Notice verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. I'm a product of it this morning. I called upon him and I'm saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they have not believed in whom, I'm sorry, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I want to speak to you for a few moments this morning on this thought, reaching our world. Let's pray. The important truth we have to get this morning, it's our job. It's his heart. It's our job. And God has put upon us a great responsibility of <clears throat> reaching, preaching the gospel to every creature on this planet. I'm going to be honest with you. If, if we just look at the logistics of that, it is an almost impossible task until we consider that with God, anything and everything he gives us to do is possible. As a matter of fact, sometimes we can get overwhelmed, we can get so overwhelmed with the absolute size of the task that we almost just turn away and say, I, I can't do any of it. I, I mean, I can't do that. And the little piece that I could do, what good would it do? I often call the missions conference, I think what we should call it is the missions helps conference. You know, when you think about spiritual gifts, there are, some, there are many spiritual gifts that God gives to individuals. And he says, this is how I want you to serve in the body. You know, there are some big gifts. Uh, somebody, I, I, I think I have the gift. That, not everybody agrees with me, but I think I have the gift of pastor-teacher. I think I have the ability and the gift, not by myself, but of God, to take the Word of God and explain the Word of God and teach the Word of God. I think there are people who have the gift of administration. 
they have a gift that allows them to organize and administer and, and lead in that way. There are, there are people who have the gift of giving. Now, all of us are to be givers, but God just enables them in, a, in an incredible way to be givers. And I mean, I, I like all of those gifts, don't you? To be honest with you, I like being the pastor teacher. And I don't have the gift, but I wish I had a great gift of administration. And I love the thought of the gift of giving. But, but there's one of those gifts in that list that I don't think a whole lot of people covet. And that's the gift of help. The gift of doing without being seen. The, the gift of working without being applauded and acknowledged. That, that person who has the gift of helps comes along and does what they can and does what needs to be done to, to help the effort and do the effort. I, I, love, I love people at church who aren't teachers and they're not administrators, but they love the Lord and they are there to do anything and everything that will contribute to the work. Uh, we have a number of people who just give themselves to doing work outside, doing work inside the church. I, I love the ladies who after the banquet is long over and uh, everybody else has gone home, they're still in the kitchen and they're laughing with each other and talking with each other and they're enjoying what they're doing and, and, and here's what they're doing. They're doing the dishes and they're loving it. And they're loving what it brought to the banquet. Now, when we announced the banquet, nobody thought, oh, I hope I'm a dishwasher. That's what I can do. I hope I'm a dishwasher. But I want to guarantee you this, without the people setting it up and putting out the plates and getting the tables out, and without the people cooking the food and bringing the food, and without them cleaning up and doing the dishes, the banquet's a wreck. Now, if I just said, hey, we're going to have a banquet, I would look at that task and I'd say, man, that's so overwhelming for me. I, I can't do that. But when I think of the church, Heritage Baptist Church, and all the people who, when that vision is there, will say, I'll help. Now, there could be a lady who would say, well, <laughs> my part is just to clean up and walk. I, I don't think that really contributes anything. I, I don't think that means anything. But it means everything. It's vital. Now, all I'm saying is you can come to a, a, a missions conference meeting like this, and you can say the world is so big, it's seven and a half billion people. I live in Minster, Ohio. I, I don't know how to reach seven and a half billion people. I don't know how to reach people groups that don't even have a Bible written in their language. I don't know how to reach half the world that has never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. I don't have a million dollars to give. I don't have a thousand dollars. I don't know what I can do. You can do what you can do. You can help. You can help. And God takes all the help and makes the banquet. And God takes all the help and reaches the world. You and I cannot stand back and say, it's so big and what I have to offer is so little, there's no use. What we have to do is say, it's really big 
and our God is bigger, and I'll do what I can, and God will do what only he can do. Now, what makes us, what will make us do that? How do you come to the place where you, you see that big thing and you, you decide, boy, I don't have, I can't solve it all, but I will step up and do what I can? Well, here, here's an amazing answer. Are you ready? You believe the Bible. You just believe the Bible. And when you believe the Bible, you don't worry about the size of the gift. You don't worry about whether you're impacting the whole world. You just do what you can do unto the Lord, and God will do the rest. You believe the Bible. I want to ask you three simple questions this morning, and depending on how you answer those questions, I believe you will choose either to be involved, to, to increase what you do, or depending on how you answer those questions, you'll maybe make a decision not to be involved. Three very simple questions. Here's the first one. Do you believe in the power of the gospel? Do you believe in the power of the gospel? Look at verse 13 again. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You and I, as Bible-believing, saved people, ought to know that we possess the greatest and most urgent message the world has ever needed. And I believe that the power of the gospel can save anyone anywhere in this world. The world has a lot of messages. I don't know about you, but I, I get email after email after email. I get emails from politicians. Do you? And, and they always want my opinion. Oh, no, wait, they want my money. <laughs> they always want my money. And I get emails from this group and that group and this interest and that interest. I, I'm just telling you, there's a lot of messages. There's a lot of religious messages out there. There are religious messages that say, if you come here, you can know God. If you say this, if you sell this, if you do this, you can know God. There are social gospels and progressive gospels. There's a humanist gospel. There's the communist gospel. I mean, there's just so many messages out there. But I want you to understand this. With all the people that are in the world and all the kinds of people that are in the world and all the messages that are in the world and all the directions that you can go in the world, there is only one true God. Yes. And there is only one true message, the gospel message that will save a man. And you know who has it? We have it. You and I know the truth about the gospel. And you and I cannot be overwhelmed by those who are getting out a message that's an empty message. We possess the only message that will take a lost man and save him. The truth is that wherever they are and whatever they are believing in now, it is what we know to be true that will actually change their life. I told you, I gave briefly my testimony the other evening. I was not raised in a Christian home. Neither my wife or I were raised in Christian homes. I regret that. I wish we had have been. 
But I will say this, that later in life, after my brother and I were out of our home, my parents did get right with God, got saved, got right with God, and, and they, made it their, they made it their issue to see that their boys knew the Lord. And so we got saved. Now, in all of my life, I, I don't think I was a completely wicked man. I certainly was not a righteous man. I was very worldly, carnal in my approach to life. But I can remember all the things in my life that I thought would bring me fulfillment, that would bring me satisfaction. I, I thought if I made a lot of money, and we tried that, and, and we were very successful, but we weren't satisfied. And I thought if I had the right career, if we did the right things and all this, that, and the other. And it wasn't until I was cornered with the gospel and confronted with the truth of the gospel that I was a sinner and that there was only one Savior that the world had and his name was Jesus Christ. It wasn't until that day when that man shared that truth with me. I, I got home that afternoon and I was shaken by it. I, I just wanted it out of my heart and out of my mind. I, I thought I'll get home, I'll, I'll talk to my wife, I'll play with the baby and I can get rid of this feeling and this conviction. I I got to the house and they were not there. You know where they were? Shopping. <laughs> I went into that house under conviction and I pulled down a Bible off of a shelf. It was a little $3 awards Bible that my mother had given to me. It was just black print. didn't even have the, the words of Jesus in red. But she had taken that Bible, and with a red pen, she had underlined Romans 10, 9, and 10. I'm not a proponent of just letting the Bible fall open and pray or preach from that passage, but that day, that Bible fell open to Romans 10, 9, and 10, and I saw what was underlined there, and I prayed an incredibly deep and theological prayer when I saw it. I said, Lord, if you can save a guy like me, Will you save me? And in that moment, my life was changed. I often say I'm not glad that I lived 23 years without Christ, but I am in some way glad that my salvation testimony is so clear in my life. I know what I was the second that I kneeled down with that Bible on the couch as my altar, and I know what I was about three minutes later when I got up off my knees, and there was nothing to compare. I was a different man. It was all changed. And here's what I'm just trying to get across to you. The power of the gospel that changed this man's life can change the life of every human being in this world. And nothing else can. And you and I possess that message. And how dare we sit on it. Come on now. And how dare we minimize it. When a world so desperately needs it. And I ask you this morning, do you believe that the power of the gospel can change the little boy who is walking barefoot in Uganda trying to find a banana to eat? Do you think the gospel can change his life like it changed yours? 
Do you think the gospel can change that old man's heart who is walking that country road in China and he has nothing to believe in but a secular power and a secular world? Do you think that the gospel could change him and bring hope to his life? Do you think the gospel could change a secularized European or somebody in Sao Paulo, Brazil, who doesn't know the truth? And the answer is yes, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And folks, we know it's true. And if it's true, it demands action. It demands that we do the work of the gospel. Let me ask you this for a second question. Do you believe in their need to hear? Do you believe in their need to hear? Look at verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? All right, I'm asking you the question. I believe we acknowledge that the power of gospel, can, the gospel can change any and every life. Now, here's my question. We acknowledge that. How do they hear it? How do they hear it? If a preacher is not sent, if a family is not sent, how do they hear it? Where the gospel goes, so goes freedom and initiative. And we need to send the gospel. I'm glad for every effort in this world to feed the, the hungry, and I mean that. Please do not think I'm being hard-hearted in what I'm about to say. I'm glad for every doctor and every nurse that goes and tries to relieve the suffering in some third world country. I mean it. I'm glad for it. I am glad for every well that is drug, dug. I'm, I'm glad for every uh, Peace Corps volunteer that goes and teaches somebody how to farm land. I mean it. I'm glad for it. But I'm telling you, it's not the most urgent need. The most urgent need in the world is a preacher to go preach the gospel. Because if that preacher will go preach the gospel and those people will believe their lives and homes and eventually their towns and their nations will be revolutionized. They will be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But someone has to be sent. Someone has to be willing to go. And here's what I would say to Calvary Chapel Baptist Church of Minster, Ohio. We know that. And we have got to be the source so that others can be sent. We know that the most urgent message in the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have got to be about the business of making sure that those who are called of God are able to go and able to preach that message. That's why we have got to be a church planting ministry. That's why our emphasis has to be to go and, and just as I, I heard these young people say, to preach the gospel, to plant a church so that people can come there and be saved and discipled and helped. We have that responsibility. Is there any way a person can be saved without hearing the gospel? And the answer is no. 
Hey, I, I'm for sending it out over the airwaves. I'm for it. But I'm also for putting feet on the ground, boots on the ground, and saying, be there. You're going up to St. Mary's on Saturday. You're going to go and knock doors. And you may come to a door of a person who lives in America, the United States of America, who lives in a conservative area in the United States of America. And you know what you might well find? You might well find somebody that's never been to Sunday school. And though they've heard the name of Jesus, they've never been confronted with the need of Jesus in their own heart. And you may well have the opportunity because you went and told to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. If you hadn't gone and you hadn't told, they'd have lived their lives as they would have that day and never heard Jesus Christ could be their Savior. Sinned, sinned, sinned. Here's number three. Do you believe that God wants to enable others to go? Look at verse 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Verse 14 of our text asks, how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15 adds, how will they preach except they be sent? The simple truth is that the method God has chosen to send preachers is to deputize people to go in our place. I know I've said it a couple of times already in the conference. I won't belabor it now, but I just want to remind you that what we're doing this morning is biblical. We are challenging the local church in Minster, Ohio to dig deep and sacrificially give so that those whom God has called to a place can be deputized and sent to that place in our name. It's, it's our responsibility to preach the gospel to every creature. It is our opportunity to deputize these to go in our place. But when we deputize them, we have the obligation and responsibility to support them. Again, I could go to many, many scriptures, and I'm not going to do that, but I would remind you of one passage where Paul is preaching in Thessalonica. He has run out of money. He has, he ha he has no other resources. And a little church in Philippi over in Macedonia, they are dirt poor. They are, they are literally suffering themselves the affliction of poverty. And yet they hear that Paul has a need. And they remember when Paul was there. And they remember how they got saved. And they remember how it changed their lives. And they said, you know what we got to do, don't you? We've got to dig deep. And, and I'm sure there were those in the church that said, we've got nothing ourselves. We can barely feed our own families. And they said, listen, we've got to help. And from, a, from, the, from the deep poverty of their own affliction, they sacrificed, they did without, they postponed spending, and they raised money, and they, they took a member of the church, Epaphroditus, and they said, Epaphroditus, carry this offering over to Thessalonica and give it to Paul. And when Paul received that offering, it so humbled him that he wrote back to them, and he said, listen, 
I am so grateful that you have remembered that there is a great work going on in the preaching of the gospel. And it's not that I want a gift, but I want to keep preaching. And I want this to abound to your account. I want you to be blessed because you've allowed me to continue to preach. I'm just telling you, that's been going on since the first century. Churches like us, understanding the need of the gospel and the power of the gospel and understanding the need to send people in our place and accepting the responsibility that if we're going to send you, if you're willing to go, we're going to deputize you to go for us. We're going to support you so that you're able to go and we're going to get you there so that people can hear the truth. That's the helps ministry. We don't get to go. We won't be the big name preacher who founds the church in Thessalonica. We'll be the pot scrubbers back here in Calvary Chapel saying, but we'll give so you can go. We'll give so you can go. We'll give so you can go here. We'll give to these so they can give there. And we will help, just help, see the gospel preached in places we could never get ourselves. I was reading not long ago an article about a volunteer organization and they had taken as their theme or or slogan, they, they had taken this thought, be the cause. Be the cause that this thing that we're giving ourselves to gets done. And you know, I think in a, in a way, we need to come tonight or this morning to the place where we are willing to say, I, I am willing to be the cause. I am willing to dig deep into my pocket. I am willing, quite frankly, to do without. I am willing to sacrifice what I'd like to have. I'm willing to postpone. I I am willing to change my spending. I'm willing to deal with my comfort. I'm willing to deal with my convenience so that I might be the cause that our missions offering go up so that that might cause us to be able to support more missionaries so that might cause the gospel to be preached in this city and that city and this country and that country so that might cause the Holy Spirit to get a hold of somebody's heart and that might cause them to be able to go to heaven I just want to be the cause well there was a day that David was instructed by his father Jesse son all your brothers are up there in Elah and I want you to take some things up there to them I want you to take some cheese and bread and some food to sustain them And when he got up to the valley of Elah and he stood there with the the army of Israel and they were all hunkered down in the trenches and behind the rocks. And he kind of looked at the line there and he knew the Philistines were lined up over there and he he just kind of wondered, you've been here for a long time, what are you doing here? And then the morning came and out came that nine foot vile person named Goliath. 
Goliath stood down there in the valley of Elah with his shield holder and that nine-foot sword or whatever it was, and, and he looked up to the hills out of the valley of Elah, and he cried out to the Israelites, and he cursed them, and he cursed their God, and he said, hey, if your God was who you said he was, and if you believed like you say you believed, you'd come down and do battle with me. And they all stayed hunkered down. And though it tore them up, and they hated to hear it, and they knew there was a need, not one of them, not one of them dared to get up and say, I'll go. Except one little guy whom the Bible describes as ruddy, (laughs) of a ruddy complexion. And he got up and he said this, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And this little boy stands up on the parapet of these trenches and he hears that vile giant spouting hatred towards the true God. And he says, I don't know what the rest of you are going to do and I don't have much to offer. I don't have much to give. But bless God, I've got a slingshot. And I'm going to go pick up five smooth stones. And everybody looked at that boy and said, you're an idiot. You can't destroy Goliath with a slingshot and five stones. Don't you know how big this job is? Don't you know how big this project is? And David looked back at him and said, I know it's a big deal, but I serve a big God. I killed a lion and a bear by his hand one time, and I'm not going to let this vile giant curse my God. And I may not have much, and it may not look like much, but there is a cause. And he marched down into that valley. You know the story, don't you? It worked out real good for him. With one smooth stone, he buried that into the head of that giant, and that giant came tumbling down because one guy decided there was a cause worth digging down, worth hazarding something about his own comfort, worth reaching out and and just trusting God with. And what everybody thought couldn't be done, got done. Got done. And I'm just saying there comes a point where we have to say to ourselves, I don't have much. And I don't know that anybody will know my name after I do what I'm about to do. And and I don't see how mine's going to reach a world, but I am going to be the cause. (laughs) I am going to be the cause. And I'm going to give what God lays on my heart. And I'm going to pray that it enables us to send these young kids to Brazil. And I'm going to pray that guy learns Portuguese and preaches in Portuguese. And I'm going to pray that as big as Sao Paulo is, he makes a dent in it. And I'm going to pray that Portuguese people get saved, Brazilian people get saved. And and I'm going to pray they put their soccer balls down and pick their Bibles up. And who knows where it'll go? But you gotta start. And you gotta say, I will be the cause. You know why? 
because the power of the gospel will change people's lives. And there are people to go, but they have to be sent. And if they're sent, God will use them in that place. But we must be the cause. Would you pray with me?